Well, I don't think we could have Christmas here without Pam singing Oh Holy Night. Thank you, Pam. Thank you, Dan. Always a joy to have you home. And uh, Jason, it's good to have you back. I was reading this morning in Genesis chapter 3. It was after Adam and Eve had sinned. And the Lord confronted them there in the garden. And after doing so, he immediately promised that he was going to send a Messiah. Immediately after their sin, God promised, I will send a Savior. When Jesus was born, that promise was fulfilled. Now, though that is true, there have always been those who have rejected the promise. The promise that God made back in Genesis that he was going to send a Messiah. As I thought about that, God made a promise that he was going to send a Savior. Man has always rejected that promise. At least some have rejected that promise. And I went back in my mind, some of you will remember, when the Russian cosmonaut had gone into outer space and after circling the earth, there was a press conference in which he said, some people say there is a God out there, but in my travels around the earth all day long, I looked around and didn't see him. I don't believe in God. I believe in man. Well, my response to that, other than that is incredibly arrogant, was you didn't really go that far. I mean, you barely got out of the earth's atmosphere and then you declare that there is no God. But things have not changed. God has made a promise that he would send a Messiah, a Savior who would save us from our sin, but man still rejects it. The American atheists in Madison, uh, in, uh, um, in New York, down in Times Square, have put up a billboard and there is a picture of Santa Claus that says, keep the Mary, and then a picture of Jesus that says, reject the myth. So there have always been those who have rejected the promise that God had made. Today, however, we are going to celebrate the birth of the baby born in Bethlehem. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. When you found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east 
went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Now, what I want us to do today is to see four different responses to the baby born in Bethlehem. First of all, there are those who seek the truth. There are those who say, is this really the fulfillment of the promise? Is this the Messiah, the Lord promised? Now, that was the Magi. They were seeking if this were the fulfillment of God's promise. But who were they? Who were these people we refer to as the Magi? Davis Dictionary of the Bible wrote, the Magi were a priestly caste, numerous enough to be regarded as one of the six tribes of media. They interpreted dreams and omens and claimed the gift of prophecy. So it's no wonder then with their background that they are intrigued by this strange star. The Bible says there in verse number two, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So they saw this star. They knew there was something different. Did you notice they referred to it as his star? Ladies and gentlemen, the fact is the stars have been created as a testament of the creator. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 19, verse 1, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Every time you go out at night and look up into the heavens and see the stars twinkling there, they are there as a testament to the existence of a Creator. You see, all of creation gives testament to the existence of a creator. It was interesting to me because of the contrast. The Russian cosmonaut went into outer space and came back and said, uh, I didn't see God, therefore there is no God. Well, later there were the American astronauts who went into outer space, Frank Borman, James Lovell, and William Anders. It was on Christmas Eve, some of you remember this also, that they gave a greeting from outer space. And they read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as Borman concluded that greeting, he said, Good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you upon the good earth. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Christmas is a story of a Savior who was promised. And the stars that we see are witness of the existence of a Creator. The Bible tells us that they are a clear witness. In Romans chapter 1 verse 20, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made 
so that they are without excuse. Creation is a testament to the existence of a creator. When you see this building, you would conclude that someone built it. When you get in your car to go home, you would conclude that someone made that car. Well, when we look at the world, we conclude there was a creator who created it. All of creation gives testament to the fact of God. It is a clear witness, but it is also a condemning witness. The Bible says, thus, they are without excuse. When we see creation, no matter what our background, no matter where we are, when we see creation, it is a testament to the existence of God. So they followed the star and found the Savior, which is exactly what creation is to do. They followed the light in verse number 9. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. That's just one little star among the billions. Just one little star, his star, but it was sufficient to lead them to Christ. They followed the light, they rejoiced in the light. Verse number 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There was great joy. Did you know that is always true for those who find the Savior, who come to the Savior? You remember in the New Testament the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip went to him and shared the gospel with him. There he was in his chariot. Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? Because he was reading from Isaiah. And he said, how can I unless someone tells me? And so Philip told him what the gospel meant. He shared the gospel with him. And he led him to faith in Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of that prophecy he was reading. Apparently, he told him about baptism because the eunuch said to him, uh, there's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And so they baptized him there in in the water. And the Bible says that as he came out of the water, he went on his way rejoicing. Ladies and gentlemen, the fact is, when a person knows Jesus Christ, when you come to Jesus, there's joy in your heart. Oh, it's so so sad to me that so many people end up with religion rather than the Savior. And you can always tell just by looking at them. I mean, there are some people who have got religion and they are miserable. You can see it written all over them. But when you have Christ, there is a difference in your heart. There is joy in your heart. And then in verse number 11, it says, And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. They followed the light. They rejoiced in the light. And they worshipped the sun. Three characteristics of their worship I noticed in that verse. First of all is humility. How in the world do we come to the place where we are so flippant when it comes to the creator God? Steve, when we have the Christmas pageant, one of my favorite parts, you have it every year, is when all the kings, the three kings come in, they present their gifts. And then when everyone bows down to worship the king. There was humility as they fell down, the Bible says. There was adoration as they worshiped him. And there was the giving of gifts, which is natural. 
Ladies and gentlemen, if Christ is in control of your heart, it is as natural for you to be a giver as it is to breathe. That's just a part of knowing the Lord. So the first response I see is those who seek the truth. That was the Magi. The second response I see are those who know the truth but are unaffected by it. And that was the chief priests and scribes. In verse number 4, Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, they knew the truth. The scribes and the, and, uh, the priests knew the truth. They knew the prophecy of Micah that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5, verse number 2. They knew that. So they knew the truth. They knew the purpose of his birth, that he was the fulfillment of God's promise. But they were unaffected by it. When you look at the scribes and the priests, they knew the truth, but they were unaffected. They remained unchanged, even though they had the knowledge. In fact, when Jesus addressed them later in Matthew chapter 23, verse number 13, he said, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Religious, they knew the truth. Jesus said, you are hypocrites. Not only that, but they were also greedy. They did not have the spirit of the Magi. In Matthew 23, 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. You know what they were doing? They were using their religious power to extort from other people. Nothing like the Magi who were looking for the Savior they were greedy, they were unrighteous, they knew the truth, but they remained in their unrighteousness. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, Jesus said, You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Folks, here's the thing. Knowing the truth does not mean you are changed. You can know the truth without being changed. Judas, he knew the truth. I mean, he was with Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard the messages. He fellowshiped with the disciples. He knew the truth. But he sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and it isn't any different today. There's no shortage of truth in America. The question is, how do you respond to it? There is certainly no shortage of truth within this congregation. But the question is, how do you respond to it? Let me give you some of the characteristics of those who know the truth but are unchanged by it. First of all, they are more concerned with what man thinks than what God says. I was talking with a pastor not long ago, and he told me about an experience that he was going through, and he said... Uh, my deacons told me that my primary responsibility is to preserve the unity of the congregation. Well, that's admirable. And certainly every one of us should be committed to that, that we are going to do everything within our power to preserve the unity of the congregation. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not the primary responsibility of the pastor. 
His primary responsibility is to preach the gospel, even if it causes division within the congregation. Our primary responsibility is to lift up Jesus, to preach the truth of his word. But when we have knowledge and are unchanged, we are more interested in what man thinks than in what God says. Another characteristic is that we are more concerned with our religion than we are with righteousness. Boy, there are some of us, we are so religious. We can come to church and we know all the hymns. We can say the right words. We do all those things. We might even sing in the choir or teach a Sunday school class or be a deacon. So many things that we can do. But then righteousness is not, not reflected in our home life. Righteousness is not reflected in our school life. Righteousness not reflected in our business practices. We become more concerned about our religion than we are with righteousness. More concerned with our talk than we are with our walk. Concerned about the way we appear rather than the substance of the truth of the gospel. So the second response I see here is those who know the truth but are unchanged by it. Third response I see is those who reject the truth. There are those who know the truth, believe the truth, and reject the truth, and that was Herod. Verse number 3, when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. Now, Herod knew the truth, and he believed the truth. That's the reason that it says in verse number 3 that he was troubled by it. Why? Because he believed it. And his concern was this child that was born was a threat to his throne. And so he was interested in protecting his throne. He knew the truth, he believed the truth, but he rejected the truth. Look at verse number 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. His plan was not to worship this baby. His plan was to kill this baby. He, wanted to, he, he knew the truth. He believed the truth. He rejected the truth. Same thing could be said of Bethlehem. Bethlehem knew the truth. Do you think anyone in Bethlehem did not know of Micah's prophecy? Micah had written this prophecy around 700 years before Jesus was born, that the Christ was going to be born in Bethlehem. Do you think anyone in Bethlehem did not know that prophecy? They knew the prophecy. They knew the truth. I think they believed it. I've, I've thought about it and... My guess is that on the night that Jesus was born, there were people in Bethlehem sitting around talking about the fulfillment of that prophecy. I wonder when, I wonder when the Messiah is going to be born. You know, I'm seeing the signs out there. And there were probably people in Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born who were discussing the prophecy that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. They knew the truth. They believed the truth and they rejected the truth. Jesus' parents, as you well know, came to Bethlehem, but there was no room for them in the end. 
It is ironic to me that the name Bethlehem means house of bread. And the bread of life came to the house of bread and was turned away. There was no room for him. They knew the truth, believed the truth, and then they rejected the truth. Another example would be Jerusalem, the city of God. They knew the truth. There were religious scholars all over Jerusalem, so there was no shortage of knowing the truth there. So they knew the truth. They were troubled by the truth. Look again in verse number 3. When Herod the king heard it, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. All Jerusalem with him was troubled about the news. Why was that? Because they were more concerned with their safety than they were the Savior. So when I look at Jerusalem, a city of of religious scholars, they knew the truth. They believed the truth, but they rejected the truth. You know, that's what the Bible says about the world. The world knows the truth. There's, uh, there's no shortage. If nothing else, there's creation. The world knows the, the truth but has rejected the truth. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment that the light is come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. I heard... Um, Governor Huckabee last night, he was talking about the attack on Christmas. And he said, if these people who attack Christmas believe it to be unimportant or unreal, then why are they so concerned about it? He said, the reason they attack Christmas as they do is because they believe it just might be true. Maybe there is something to it. Maybe there is some truth to it. The Bible says that the world knows the truth but has rejected the truth because their deeds are evil. And we don't want to be condemned by the scripture so we reject it. Third response is those who reject the truth. Know the truth. Believe the truth. Reject it. That could be some of you. You know the truth. You've heard it. So many years, you believe maybe it's true, but thus far you've rejected it. Then there's the fourth response, those who receive it. Some believe it and receive it, and that was the Magi. They sought him. There was uh, no price too great, no distance too far. They were going to follow that star. So they sought him and they found him. But Jesus has promised, if we seek, we will find. Ladies and gentlemen, I believe according to Scripture, I believe uh, uh, according to the experience, that if you respond to the light that you have, regardless as to how small it might be, if one responds to the light that they have, that the Lord will give you enough light to come to Christ. I really believe that. If one responds to the light they have, no matter how dim that light might be, the Lord will give more light. So the Bible says that they came and they worshipped him there in verse number 11. I love that verse. They came to the house of Mary, fell down, worshipped him, opened their treasures, and presented them to him. They believed and received. 
Mary and Joseph, the earthly parents of Jesus, did also. They believed that this baby was the fulfillment of the promise of God at some cost to them. Now, Joseph had some doubts in chapter 1, verse number 19. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. Now, this woman that he is marrying is pregnant. He had some doubts. He didn't want to embarrass her. He was a righteous man, did not want to embarrass her, but he had some doubts that he struggled with. But then he responded in faith. In chapter 1, verse number 24, Joseph arose from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took her as his wife and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph believed and received, even though he had some doubts to deal with. Mary? She was willing to undergo the criticism, the unjust criticism, the snide remarks that were made concerning her because she believed that this was God's son. She received him. Simeon, the Bible tells a story of Simeon who was awaiting the promised Messiah. And when Jesus was placed in his arms, he held him in his arms and said, My eyes have seen thy salvation. That was his response to the baby. My eyes have seen thy salvation. Many of you have honestly sought the truth. Most of you. You've sought the truth and you've accepted the promise. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That's the result of trusting him. Now, let me conclude. How do you respond to the baby born at Christmas? What is your response? Now, here's what the scripture says, and this is important. If you reject him, he will reject you. You see, you make the decision as to what people say, I don't believe God would send anybody to hell. I don't either. I believe you choose to go. The Bible says that if you reject him, he will reject you. The scripture says in Luke 12, 19, but he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. So that's what the scripture says. If you reject him, he will reject you. But if you receive him, then he will receive you. In Luke chapter 12, verse number eight, I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the son of man shall confess him also before the angels of heaven. So here's some questions for you to answer. Are you seeking the truth? Like the Magi, are you seeking the truth? If so, God will give you adequate light to find the Savior. If you're really seeking the truth. Another question. Perhaps you know the truth, but you have not responded to it. Well, today you can change that. Today you can embrace the Savior. You can receive the Savior. Third question. If you know the truth and believe the truth, but thus far have rejected the truth, how long are you going to do that? How long would you do that? Because there's no guarantee of tomorrow. There's no guarantee of an hour from now. How long will you reject him? Fourth question, are you willing to receive him today? Because if you're willing to receive him, according to the word of God, 
he will receive you as his son, his daughter, his child. Are you willing to do that? Our Father in God, we come to this time to consider the Christ child, God incarnate, who came to this earth that we might be saved. And Lord, it is my prayer today for every person who has never trusted Jesus that they would do so. Bless this time, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing a hymn of invitation. And my friend, if you're here without Jesus, would you receive him today? Would you take that step today and commit your life to him? There'll be staff here to pray with you and to receive you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open. We'd love to have you as a part of this family. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. They sing as they sing. You come, I'll greet you as you do.